This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? Hey, welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I get to sit down with a different guest each week and have raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most faith, business, life, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. My guest this week is Janelle Jones. Janelle is an early education entrepreneur currently operating multiple early learning centers, which specialize in providing high quality learning experiences to children who experience trauma in low income areas. Her background in education includes earning a bachelor's degree in business management and a master's in curriculum and instruction with an emphasis on autism spectrum disorders. She is a native of Phoenix, Arizona, and has provided her expertise to families for the last decade and hosts private discussions with foster and adoptive parents on current issues affecting the non-traditional home. She is the author of the new book, Shattered, in which she tells the raw truth behind America's foster and adoption system, sharing the day-to-day realities and challenges of raising children with mental and physical limitations, and tells parents and would-be parents what they need to hear. It won't be what you expect, and you're not alone. She is an adoptive mother who is still trying to find the answers to questions that are tough and challenging, but through her story, you're going to see a mother's eyes as she shares her deepest pain for her daughter and for the foster and adoptive system. I was so excited to have Janelle on the show. I have really wanted to have a conversation around the topic of fostering and adopting and the challenges and nuances with it. And Janelle is just a breath of fresh air when it comes to being really raw and honest about these things. And so if this is a topic that is on your heart in any way, you are going to love this conversation and it's really going to encourage you and challenge you. And I'm just really looking forward to it. So without further ado, on to my chat with Janelle Jones. Janelle, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to be here. I'm one, very excited to have you because before we were recording, I learned that you are also a small farmer and I'm a small farmer. And when you, I just feel like, and I, I'd love for you if you agree or, or disagree with this, like when you meet somebody else who is kind of living off the land or just, you know, you, you're raising animals, you're doing the thing. It's like, there's this immediate connection where you're like, you're my people. <laughs> As you get it, you get it. Like there's just so much, so many things you don't have to explain. And there's like this unsaid language of why we do this, right? Yes. Yes. I love it so much. Well, I am, um, I've really been looking forward to having you on the show um, because when I first kind of got introduced to you and your story, I was um, just blown away. So I, uh, let's dive right in and have you give us the Janelle 101. So who you are, what you do and how you got to where you are today. So I always like to start off by saying I'm just like a normal person. (laughs) 
um, I, I am um, a mom, you know, I like to pride myself of being a mom of seven. I have two bonus kids. I have three that I gave birth to and my two adopted, my youngest two are my two adopted. I have a couple childcare centers, one in Phoenix, Arizona, one in Mesa, Arizona. And I am, I'm just like a normal person because I, you know, I go to, I used to go to basketball and drive kids to school and try to, you know, do the insane things around your family schedule and still try to be a person. And, you know, I'm a mom that struggles with all things mothers do. It's never enough and it's never, there's not enough of me and what do I give to myself? So that's a little about me. So I know that a huge part of your story is your journey of becoming a foster and adoptive mom. And this is a topic that is a topic I'm very passionate about. Um, We have uh, not fostered and adopted kids ourselves yet, although we have kind of left the door open for when God kind of allows and calls us to that. But I grew up with, um, with a sister who in a lot of ways we called her our foster sister. My parents, it's a, it's a long story that is not for this podcast, but I grew up with parents who always brought people into our home, um, where, you know, the door was always open for if somebody needed a place to stay, if there was a kid who just needed some extra support, whatever. Um, and like I said, and then I, I kind of grew up with this foster sister who lived with us for many years. And so she was really, she was a part of our family. Um, and so this is, this is a thing that's really big on my heart. And I obviously, uh, have been very, you know, we support, a lot of our, our uh, friends who foster and, and adopt, because I always say, like, if you can't in that mo- you know immediate season, support families who do and things like that. And so I know that this is obviously a huge part of your story. Um, and in fact, you just um, you've just released a book. Congratulations. It's called Shattered. And it's a lot uh, really this honest take on the adoption and foster care system. And so I would love for you to kind of start at the beginning as to what led you to feeling called to getting an invo- getting involved in the foster and adoption system because you know as we very well know like this is not something that is for everyone and is really a calling um and so how did that first happen for you you know i want to say because of my background on in early childhood and we are that family that always would have all the kids over because we have so many children are not really I'm used to them being around and we are kind of one of those families where if somebody needs something, they end up at our house, Um, whether it's two days, two years. Right. And my youngest son came, um, both of my foster children came very quickly. My youngest son, I got a call. I needed to go to the hospital because my cousin had had a child. We got there. He needed a home. I called my husband and I brought him home literally that quick. My daughter says, we woke up with like four kids and we went to bed with five. Like what happened? Yeah. Like nobody. Did. And with mercy, it was almost that quick. I had made a connection with her at church. Hmm. So like she would smile, I would smile, I would wink, you know, and one day the pastor's wife said to me, Oh, little Nikki needs a home. Um, that's who she is at first in the book before we change her name. And I was like, Oh, I like little Nikki. We have a connection. 
And I mentioned that we would be interested. Next thing I know, I'm in a room and we're bringing her home. And my husband's response to it was, what's one more? And literally that's how quick. So I can't say that I had this calling. It was just like she needed a home. Mm -hmm. And I do have a, I do know the studies that older children don't get adopted. They don't get picked up. And that's always been something that I've always thought like, oh, like, what if something happened to, to us and my kids ended up in the system? I would pray that like as older kids, somebody would take them. So, mm. you know, those are little foundational things about me, but yeah, I didn't that day, even with Nick, well, that a couple months before I never thought I would have taken another child in. Wow. Well, I, you know, it's interesting the way that you tell that story, because I I have quite a few friends who have very similar stories who kind of (laughs) had this moment of they were always open to the idea. And then it was like, God was like, okay, you're open to it. Well, here it is. And that's, I think in some ways, and I don't, I won't get off on this digression, kind of where my husband and I are. It's like, we are open to it. And when the opportunity, like when God calls you to say yes, or opens the door and you just, you can't say no, then that's, then that's where, where you are. Um, but I know obviously that can sound, it can sound almost very like fairy tale. And it's like, Oh, wow, that's beautiful. You're growing your family and you're bringing children home and it's wonderful. And then for people that don't understand the ins and outs and the trauma associated with all these, yes, adoption and fostering is beautiful beautiful. Absolutely. It's a picture of God's grace and God's mercy and what he does for us and how he d- adopts us into our, into his family. But there's also trauma and there's brokenness um, in so many aspects of this. And so, you know, I just would love for you to share what was sort of the moment where I guess the scales have kind of got taken off of your eyes. I don't know if that's really the word I'm looking for, but you know what I mean? Whereas the rose colored glasses, I guess is really more what I'm saying, um, where you began to learn, this is a whole lot harder and more difficult and more broken than, than I probably could have anticipated. You know, for me, I have to say it took a while. And the reason being is because I, so in my centers, I work with low income traumatized children. And so I've had difficult children, right? And so I'm one of those people that when I dive into something, I just dive in. And so it was it was the education stuff, like she was struggling in school. Well, she had 21 placements. And so a lot of things were not told to us. And as they were being uncovered or revealed, or I was finding out, I was like, well, she had 21 placements from three to eight. So of course she has no educational foundation. If she starts school at five, you know, somebody calculated it's like four play every four months she was being moved homes. Mm. So I'm like, okay, well, you're having a lot of struggles in school. So let me get you tutors. Let me help you. Let me do this. Let me do that. Let me put you in this reading program. Oh, it's going to take a little bit more time. Oh, she's having adjustment issues, right? She She's never had a stable home. So a lot of things, I was not realizing the magnitude, the scale stayed on because I was just trying to find solutions. And it was really about two years in when... I started seeing signs like, what are those claw marks all over your arms? Mm. And then it's, and and it's not coming to me quickly. And I'm like, I think that's self-injurious behavior. Like I'm in bed and God, like literally God's like, that's self-injurious behavior. And like, I'm popping up and I'm running to the room and, 
or I'd hear her say things like, kids can say, I hate you. I hate myself. I don't want to live. I've heard it before. Right. And, but it was like, Ooh, she really serious. And really when my um, youngest daughter that I had given birth to all crap broke loose when she went off to college. So my daughter ended up going to school in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And when she did, Mercy just fell apart. Mm. And it got to the point I couldn't keep her out of the hospitals. So that's about when, and probably the biggest moment was I was in a hospital room. I describe it in the book. I was in the hospital and they asked her, they said, do you hear voices? And she said, yes. And I'm like, what? You hear voices? Because who asked that conversation? Who asked that question? Yeah. Like, do you ask people, do you hear voices? So when that nurse said yes, I was like, oh, we're dealing with something else. Mm, wow. Well, I know one of the big things that you are an advocate for and uh, just somebody who's really trying to raise awareness and education around this is the lack of, I mean, one, I mean, really, we could do an entire podcast series on the foster and adoptive uh, system and how broken it is and how it's difficult and expensive and, and just all the things, but also just the lack of resources um, for for kids in the system, for the parents, for the caregivers. There's just so many things all along the way. And what were some of the things that you learned early on and realized, oh, this is... Wow, I mean, there's just really not this the system here or the support here that should be. First of all, I'd like to say I think I've learned that the caseworkers, the people at the system, I don't think they understand the magnitude of what's going on. I also don't think they understand what it's going to take to get one of these these children whole right. and to get the resources they have. So we have state level insurance. Well, the doctors aren't always adequate. And I don't even know. I feel that a lot of times we're getting new doctors fresh out of school because, you know, it's a very difficult job. And these are not textbook kids with the amount of trauma and brokenness that they have. You know, they need more than that. And oftentimes because of the high turnovers of caseworkers, therapists, doctors, we're creating additional issues, additional abandonment issues with these children. These children really need continuity of care. So I think people don't understand what's going on. You know, what we have children and when you have children and you're the, their mom and dad and you're advocating for your child, right? You're looking at what can I do that's the best? I want the best, the best school I can get, the best daycare. I'm I'm reading reviews on the doctor that I take my child to. They don't have that advocate. Hmm. And so that's really hurting them because they don't have an advocate and they don't have a voice to say, you know, we need a little bit better. Hmm. Wow. Well, I know um that. Obviously, like we've said, this is something that you're really advocating f- that you are trying to kind of step in. And, and I know that this is there are obviously so many other amazing men and women who are just like you who are trying to step in and kind of fill that gap, um, but also 
advocate on behalf of both the children and um, those who are in the position of caregiver. What has been your experience to to doing that? Has it been something where you're advocating at a state level or a federal level or community level? Like, what do you think if somebody is listening and they're also very passionate about this and they want to get involved in in advocating for these kids and, and creating better resources for families? What are the things that feel like because it, it can feel so overwhelming and it can feel like how do you bite this elephant off one bite at a time when or eat this elephant one bite at a time when you're like, I, I don't even know where to start. Where do you start? Where have you started? And what are what are things that everyday people like me and, and people in my community or churches that, you know, and I, I know that you and I come from the same lens of um, the church needs to be leading uh, the way in this. And and how how do they best do that? You know, right now I've started with telling my story mm. to rally other people around us because it's like you said, it's a huge elephant. And I'm hoping that we can get a few people that are passionate, that are in the right places to push it out. I think one of the biggest issues we have is because these are children and everything is confidential, mm-hmm. there's so much hidden. It's in the dark and we've got to bring it to light. Or what you get is you get families that have been so traumatized, they tuck and they run away mm-hmm. and nobody tells a story. How many stories have been told? There's not very many. You'll hear people complain about how bad it is, but who's going and being transparent and saying, this is what really happens. And until we can bring that to the light, nothing can happen because a lot of people don't see it as a problem. There's no voice. So that's the first thing. And then we have to find where to go. I'm not sure where to go. That's what I'm looking for. I need the people to help me say, this is where we're going. Because I can tell you, I'm still battling with my child um, and I'm still getting raked over the coals. Like there has been better in my story. It's not that much better. And they are still abusing and traumatizing me. Like I've been battling with them all week long and it has not been pleasant and I'm losing right now. Mm. So where do we go to make parents successful? You know, we need everybody, whether they're parents or not, whether they're a celebrity or whoever, we need somebody to help us be a voice and to, and to say, this is not right to get us in the right places where our stories can be heard. Mm. I am curious, you know, especially as a mom who has, you know, given birth biologically, you have bonus kids, you have adoptive kids, you have fostered children. How has this very wide variety of motherhood experiences shaped you as a mother and your own walk as a mother, your your walk with the Lord, your um, your marriage, all of those things? I don't even think I realized the cross God had, has given me to bear until recently, mm. you know, and being a mother of all the different levels. I don't think I'm unusual, but maybe I am. I feel that I love my children the same. Mm-hmm. You know, once you're mine, even, you know, once I bring you in that circle close to me, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fight to death for my children. Right? right. But what I've noticed is a lot of people don't do that. Mm. Our, um, a lot of children, they don't have the same people fighting with like the same tenacity for them mm. because 
they're kind of out there. And those are the kids that need it the most. And I have to think of, you know, God's love. He brings us all in, no matter what we've done, how we've sinned, and he loves us anyway. Right. And so I kind of look at that, like, we're not showing God's love and we're leaving those children out there. You know, we're, we're not loving on them and they need us the, the most, you know, they don't have the resources. It, it's a difficult cross. I can't say that other people's crosses aren't big and difficult and painful, but I'm doing this sometimes like run, you know, but, but I can't, I can't walk away. You know, so many people had told me so many times, just, just walk away, just, you know, and I'm like, I can't do that because then what's going to happen to her or and the other children like her. So I know that we've alluded to this, but I think it's really important. I'd love for you to unpack it about your faith and how your faith has played a role in all of this and your walk with the Lord. And, um, you know, I kind of, like I said at the beginning, you know, I, I think adoption and, and fostering, especially like, it's just beautiful. And I mean, the whole adoption and foster care system came out of Christianity. I mean, like, like the Lord called, you know, uh, I don't, I can't remember there's an, the exact story of the origin of what happened, what was happening, but you know, there were babies and there were children being abandoned who were Christians were literally like picking them up off of the street and bringing them into their home. Um, and that's like how it started, obviously like hundreds of years ago. And so, um, um, you know, I know that this is a huge piece for you. And so uh, can you kind of share how that has played a role in this for you? I can honestly say that like my faith walk has been strengthened in this journey. <laughs> you know, I don't think I've ever prayed so much. And I'm always, you know, one of my favorite stri- scriptures is, Romans 8 and 28, all things work together for the good for those who love the Lord. And some of the things that I see are so awful, even in reading the book. That's the one thing that I keep reminding myself of. Like, there's got to be good in this. There's got to be mm. good in the suffering. You know, there, there's, God is going to get the glory somehow. He, All these things have to be brought through to the light. And that's what keeps me going is knowing that somebody, I don't know if it's going to be me, you know, I'm, I'm, my prayer is somebody else does it. (laughs) Like (laughs) takes my mantle and goes on forth. Like, please, like, you know, I, 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 I'm a, I'm definitely a background person, but that's what gets me through going, you know what, if these children can suffer and they can go through, somebody has to come through and hold their hand and pick them up and dust them off and tell them it's going to be okay. Just, and somebody has to be there and be faithful, just like God is there and faithful with us. And so that's how I keep going. You know, that's my walk with God. Um, and, and comforting me through lots of tears, you know, lots of just, just crying because it's just unfair and it's just not nice. But God didn't say it was going to be easy. You know, it wasn't easy for Jesus on that cross. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, Jesus' journey wasn't easy. So we can't expect ours to be either. You said something earlier that I think is really interesting and I would love for you to unpack a little bit. And that is 
how you talked about because we are navigating this this just this situation, all of this with children who are minors, and so there's you know things in place that protect their privacy and all of that. But then on the flip side, there's like you said, kind of a lot of secrecy and hiddenness around this, so that the stories are not being told. How do you envision? Away, and there's going to be a wide range of opinions and thoughts and, and approaches to this. But I'm curious from your experience, how do you navigate protecting kids and their privacy and their stories and not exploiting their stories and not using their stories for because a lot of times, you know, especially there, there's a whole conversation around, you know, is it are we being exploitative when we tell someone else's story when we don't do we have permission to tell their story, all those things, um, while also bringing some of these issues that need to be brought to the forefront to light. How do you honor the privacy and the protection uh, of of individual children's stories while also highlighting the reality that that both kids and caregivers are facing what is how do you navigate that tension you know i think we're going to have to tell their stories and protect the kids so we're going to have to hide their identities we're going to have to, you know, maybe change facts of where it occurred, but we we need their stories. We actually really need the data, even when it comes to getting them the help they need, the trauma that they faced. I really do feel that our doctors and therapists are not given enough data from real situations because how do they know how bad the trauma is that these children are facing and really what they need, even on new diagnosis, if if the stories aren't being told. You know, with my daughter, she is very, um, because she doesn't have a bond with everyone, she won't give all the real information and the real data hmm. if I'm not present. So if we're not telling the stories, then how do, how do we know how to treat these children? And if you really look at, the amount of adopted and foster care children that are in the prison pipeline, which yeah. is their high numbers. I've read studies from 20 to 40% uh, are homeless um, and they were former adoptive and foster kids. Now, I'm not sure the validity of these studies, if they were casual or how they came about. We need more of these studies. We need the real data in order to see what's really happening. And that's a huge problem. That's why we have to not exploit, but we need this information for real data and for real facts and for real change. And so how do you get it if you're not talking about it, if you're keeping everything silent? So I really do feel that this is a plane that's going to be, that's going to have to be built as we're flying it. That's a really great analogy, building the plane while you're flying it, which is uh, in incredibly difficult. Um, but, uh, but, you know, with God, all things are possible. You know, obviously, I know that you are very protective of the, your kids and their stories. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I know has been really challenging um, has been navigating the fact that there is some sibling separation within your own family and how common that is. And I just think about my heart just 
aches and breaks when I think about that, because I know that your your daughter has a twin brother who she was separated from. And, you know, I just think about my my own kids. And if, you know, heaven for I me, mean, you know, who knows, like if something were to happen to me and my husband and, and for some reason, my kids were in the, you know, the foster care system. And I can't imagine them being separated from each other and just how challenging that is and how um, devastating that is to like pack on additional trauma. What has that been like for you guys as a family? And and um, what are some of the things you hope to bring to the surface when it comes to this very real issue? You know, one of the things I was thinking about, uh, I believe I was talking to somebody about it is who came up with this? Yeah. Like I get So my daughter has about 10 siblings and I get that you may not be able to keep 10 children together, but to separate twins, it's like who in their right mind thinks of that, you know, and from what I'm gathering a lot of times and just in dealing with the social workers and the caseworkers, I don't know if one person should be allowed to make these decisions. Yeah. You know, I, I asked somebody, I was like, was there a psychologist on the team? Was there a doctor on the team? Was there a parent advocate? Like who was on this team? Because who in their right mind would just think that this is okay. I think you could like ask people on the street and they would say, no, that's a bad idea. And so who is making these decisions and these policies and are saying that these things that are being done to children that have already been traumatized, we can all agree just being taken away from your parents is going to be trauma, regardless of what you were facing in the home. And we're going to all agree that whatever they were going through, it wasn't good if they're now in state custody. But as state agencies, as, you know, parents and advocates of these children, we have to make it a mission that once these children are in the system, the trauma and the abuse stops. That has to be a goal. And I know this is a goal that's achievable because like in early childhood, in your child's preschool and daycare, abuse isn't allowed to happen. Right. Why is that? Because we put measures in place. We put measures in place. We want best practices. We want continuity of care. You know, we have rules and regulations that childcare centers abide and are governed by, and they're caring for the majority of our nation. You know, working parent, the majority, a lot of working parents use childcare, and you don't see us on national news all the time about abuse. Mm. And when big things happen, you see it. You know, I think it was in October, you had the case of the providers that were scaring the kids. Well, I can tell you, I can promise you that a lot more than scaring occurs in our foster and adopt in our foster system with our adoptive kids. But none of that's talked about. And I'm talking about once they've entered the system, not before. So I know we can do something that's going to be better because we've, we've done it in the childcare setting. Absolutely. Well, I know that uh, you're, you know, a big part of your own personal advocacy. And again, going back to just highlighting some of these, you know, these darker issues and, and the things that, as you kind of said, are have been hidden is through this book, Shattered. Um, and what is your 
hope, your prayer um, for people to take away from this book? So I always like to say, this book was not written to discourage people from adopting and fostering children, but it really was just the honest take of what could happen with what's going on in place and, and the things that we're not told and what the true impact of a family could be if we don't have proper measures in place. So what I'm really hoping is that the conversation starts um, so we can protect the children in the manner they need to be protected and the families that want to take care of them. I wrote it so we can find more resources and so we can do better. Amen. Amen. Well, I know that um, you also do a lot of work in your own community in Phoenix, Arizona, in your hometown. Um, what are some of the things that you are currently doing and, and what are you working towards? So right now where it's about this book and getting the word out, everything that I'm doing is listed on my website. And so there's numerous things going on, numerous um, articles being written and even some things that I'm writing. And so if you want to find out everything I'm doing, it's all listed right there. Amazing. Well, how can people best connect with you, get in touch with you, support the work they're doing? Uh, what What is the best way for them to do that? So on that website, JanelleJones.com, I'm very reachable. Um, and the other thing I can say is like with the book, I tell people, I'm like, it's not really about book sales, but it's really about getting this book in the hands of the right people. Right. So that's also my goal is that people get this book and they, um, they put it in the hands of the right person. It's a rough read. It's honest. And so I get it. Like it's hard to read, but we need it to get to the people that really need to read it and really need to understand what's going on for the change, because that's really the goal. It's to change things for these children. Amen. Well, also, I am curious for people listening who, again, are really, you know, feel a tug and a push in this direction to get and connected and involved in supporting the local foster and adoptive care system. What is your recommendation for somebody who is currently considering or praying about this? Where to start? If they are considering praying about adoption and fostering, I think they do start with their local agencies. But the one thing I want to say is Make sure that you're asking the questions, make sure that you are building that, that team and that network before you do it, find the experienced adoptive and foster care um, parents, find the agencies. We're starting to put resources on my page of like all the agencies, all the podcasts, everything. Um, And it's going to be growing and evolving, but build your team, build your support. And then be be vocal. Don't just take it and and you know go on and be about my family, but really join the movement. You know, connect with others, and we have to become a strong community. Amen, Janelle. Thank you so much for being here, and thank you for the advocacy work you're doing. Um, and I just want to, on a personal note, uh, let you know that um, 
I am adding you to my prayer list and your family and just want you to know that um, I'm going to be praying for you because I know that this is not easy. And, you know, the enemy just loves to see the brokenness and the trauma. And I just pray for God's protection over you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you loved it. And I would love to know what you loved or something that you learned. Let us know on social media. You can find me at still being Molly or at can I laugh pod wherever you get your podcasts and wherever you get your social media. And would you take a moment to head on over to whatever app you are listening to and leave a review and click that subscribe or follow button so you never miss a new episode when it comes out. Thank you as always for listening. Thank you for your support. Thank you to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing the show. And for you, I hope something this week makes you laugh till you cry. We'll see you next week. Bye.